The advice and informational content does not necessarily represent the views of Mother's Market and Kitchen. Mother's recommends consulting your health professional for your personal medical condition. Hello, I'm Kimberly King, and welcome to the Mother's Market Podcast, a show dedicated to the truth, beauty, and goodness of the human condition. On today's show, over 30 million people over the age of 18 in the U.S. have diabetes. And what's worse is 25% of those people don't even know they have it. The good news is nowadays there are better treatment plans that can reverse it. And we're giving you all the info you need to know. Plus, later we'll tell you what's going on around town. But first up, Dr. Daniel Roney is a chiropractor and functional medicine specialist at the Center for New Medicine in Irvine. He has an undergraduate degree in biology and sports medicine. Upon completion of his chiropractic degree, he began to pursue courses in a new field called functional medicine. That experience changed his life, and he's learned how to heal one person at a time at the cellular level from the inside out. And he's taken those experiences to expand into many different areas of alternative medicine. And we welcome him to the Mother's Market Podcast. Dr. Roney, how are you? I'm doing well. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you. Thanks for being here. And why don't you fill our audience a little bit in on your mission and your work before we get to today's show topic? Sure. Uh, my So work-wise at the clinic, a little diverse. So I do uh, chiropractic care, rehab, sports uh, rehab. We'll also do sports optimization as well. So we work with athletes uh, from the inside out, getting their function better. Um, and then I also work with a lot of patients functional medicine-wise. So we're trying to look at causes to their problems and then understand them, uh, identify them, and try to correct them. Mm-hmm. Um, from a mission standpoint, uh, I worked in rehab uh, in the 90s, uh, rehabbing hips, knees. Uh, we did pr- traumatic brain injuries, uh, amputations, etc. And that experience kind of opened my eyes a little bit. We, we have a good sick care system, right? I believe we needed a better healthcare system or preventative. So that experience kind of opened my eyes a bit and I I was determined to get on the preventative side. Uh, Later in the 90s, my father passed away uh, with lung cancer and we had a conversation before he passed and and it was about regret and him regretting not taking better care of himself. And we we basically, you know, it was one of those, uh, like you look back, best, worst days, best days, worst days. You know, and and it was something that just propelled me more and more into this alternative world of how can we heal? Mm -hmm. Uh, I couldn't help him, didn't have enough knowledge, didn't have enough resources at the time, but I kind of made a commitment uh, to to try to help as much as I could and learn as much as I could about how to heal naturally. So we may not have need the sick care system or need it less, sorry. No, that's, and again, I'm sorry about your father. And that's- sure. um, I appreciate it, thank yeah. you. Yeah, you know how it's turned your um, your mission today, and you, I love that you cover many areas, but you really heal from the inside out. Today we're talking about the prevention and treatment of type two diabetes. And uh, we hear about it, but what exactly is type two diabetes? Yeah, so, so type two diabetes uh, is synonymous, or we might hear insulin resistant diabetes, right? So I'll kind of give the mechanism as simply as we can so people uh, listening can understand. If I take in carbohydrates, right? Potatoes, starches, pastas, grains, breads, also fruits and vegetables, etc. They turn into glucose, right? When we have a lot of glucose in our blood 
uh, in our blood, we have to get that glucose into the cell to be used for energy. Insulin is what binds the glucose to get it into the cell. So if we think about this, if we're constantly eating a lot of sugar, right, it's going to increase in our blood, which means our pancreas is going to have to secrete more and more insulin. The more insulin that's in our blood, it starts to create resistance at the cellular level. It's kind of like the one of the best ways I can explain it is if I have, say, a cup of coffee, six ounce cup of coffee or an energy drink for that matter, eventually that six ounce cup of coffee is not going to do the trick. We might need eight ounces. We might need two cups and so forth. And you hear that a lot. The reason is, is when caffeine, as an example, is in our bloodstream constantly, the receptor site becomes desensitized. So we need more. Well, if our blood sugar is constantly high, our pancreas has to secrete insulin. Insulin's in our bloodstream a lot, and it starts to create resistance at the cellular level. So the more it's there, the more resistance we're going to have. And that is the, the essential problem with type 2 diabetes. Um, is there a correlation? Uh, my father passed from pancreatic cancer. And so is there some sort of correlation? Or is I know you're talking about your pancreas. Yeah, it, it, it definitely, um, if the pancreas is constantly stimulated and overworked and so forth, there, there may be in the literature some correlation, uh, but they're not 100% sure if that's the, a main correlation. It's, it's a lot of times more or less an immune dysregulation uh, that can create that and some other issues. But um, I haven't read that there's a high correlation between the two. But listen, I think where there's smoke, there's fire. I let, believe let, that. Let, let's I, put it that way. Yeah, no, yeah. I, that's, it's worth pursuing. Absolutely. Uh, but we're, um, so back to the type 2 diabetes. Is this on the rise? It is. So I was doing some research about a year ago uh, for classes that, that I do um, for, for type 2 diabetes. 1958, 1% of the population had diabetes. In 2018, we're up to 10% of the population. But one in three people have prediabetes. Mm. So if we combine those numbers, you know, we're getting up to about half of the population either having type 2 diabetes or pre-diabetes, mm-hmm. oh my which God. is pretty significant. That, with those Yeah, seventh leading cause of death, mm. right, in, in America right now. However, there's a caveat to that. Most diabetics won't necessarily die of diabetes. They will die of heart disease or stroke. Ah, but so it's that precursor. It's the precursor, yes, ma'am. So... Is there a way to check? Right, well, let's talk a little bit about the symptoms of and yeah. when. Yeah, so if somebody's, um, you know, there's, there's the simple ones like fatigue after meals. So if I eat and I get tired, uh, that's a symptom of, of diabetes, type 2 diabetes. If I am starting to get weight gain, especially around the belly, if I'm hungry all the time, if I have excess urination, uh, we talked about excess hunger, if... Um, Gosh, what, what else do we see? Uh, sleep issues will start to become prevalent with diabetes. So those are just some, but mm-hmm. those are some of the more, okay, if you have those, you might want to start looking into the possibility. Uh, that's good to know. Uh, what about a test? Can you take, well, I guess well, we're going to get to that, but is yeah. there, was there a blood test? Yeah, that we yeah for sure. So, so same idea. If we, 
if we have, I, I typically use intake forms and the intake forms that I use, um, I use this analogy, it kind of takes me from the Pacific Ocean, right, of looking for problems into a puddle of water this big. So if I'm asking those symptoms, for example, right. I go, okay, there might be a problem in this area. And then we can follow up with blood work to confirm it. And the blood work, one of them is called a fasting glucose. So if I eat, say, at five or six at night, I don't have anything to eat overnight, and I get my blood drawn in the morning, right? I haven't eaten. That's a fasting, like a 12-hour uh, test. They take blood. What should happen is by the time that I take that blood over 12 hours, the, the glucose should be out of our system, high amounts of it, if we're not resistant. So below 100 right? And I like to look at it between 85 and 95 is ideal, but below 100, we're good. As we start to see fasting blood glucose go above 100, red flag, yeah. right? There's another test called a hemoglobin A1C, okay? That's a more, you know, a two to three month uh, kind of window as to what's happening with the, with the blood glucose. So hemoglobin is a protein that circulates, uh, that's part of red blood cells, and what happens is glucose will bind to the hemoglobin. The more glucose that's bound to the hemoglobin, the A1C will rise. Mm -hmm. So hemoglobin A1C, there's hemoglobin A1A, A1, A1B, A1C. A1C is just the most prevalent hemoglobin in the blood. So when we start to see numbers rise and 5.6 and below is, is quote unquote non-diabetic or pre-diabetic. When we start to rise above in the 5.7, 5.8, and above, we're getting into pre-diabetes and even diabetes. Now, I'm gonna say this. Once I see it start to rise, I treat it the same whether it's pre-diabetes or diabetes. We have to start getting on top of it. I will even say this. If I see symptoms before the numbers change, I will even start working on it with a person because again, we wanna prevent, we don't wanna react. So those are two good tests. The other two that I personally do, one is insulin and the other is something called C-peptide. Mm -hmm. So an, a fasting insulin should be fairly low. But if, if I'm type two, the insulin levels are gonna be high because the pancreas is gonna have to keep secreting insulin to take glucose into the cell. So if I'm resistant, I'm gonna need more insulin to get that into the cell. So we see higher levels than normal of insulin levels. So that's another telltale. Mm. And then C-peptide is your storage, basically keeping it simple, it's your storage form of, of insulin. So we look at that one as well. And, and that gives us a really clear picture as to what's going on and where you are in the process. Thank you for describing all of that. Yeah, sure. So how else would somebody know if they have type 2 diabetes? You talked about some of the um, symptoms on mm -hmm. there. Is there anything that would... Yeah, I mean, the symptoms are, are will lead you in a, in a direction like, you know what, something's not right. I'm tired. I'm gaining weight. Um, you know, maybe that frequent urination, my hunger levels, I can't control them, etc. Um, uh, tired after meals. Mm -hmm. Something's just not right. Uh, so... That the next step that I would do is is see a practitioner and and most of them will know these blood tests. But at least I'm a big fan of of kind of informing people mm -hmm. so they go in informed and they can have a good dialogue. Yeah. I'm not a I don't I personally try to teach them as much as I can so they can ask questions. 
sometimes the the squeaky wheel gets the grease and you kind of have to be your own doctor these days just because people are busy you just you know the more informed you are the more powerful more power you have yeah i I absolutely agree with that and actually i learned a lot about that being an advocate taking care of my father yeah which you may have as well when you're around yes absolutely asking those questions yeah absolutely so what are some of the consequences of type 2 diabetes or having too much sugar in the blood yeah, so we mentioned a couple of them earlier. So heart disease is a is a big deal, right? Strokes, big deal. Kidney, right? The uh, kidney dysfunction, another biggie. Um, we could have um, Alzheimer's and dementia is a big big deal with blood sugar. So, matter of fact, I think I'm right on this stat. But I believe I read that 80% of all dementia or Alzheimer's patients have blood sugar imbalances, wow. potentially type two. Now, I'll, I'll take that a step further. There is now a type three diabetes. Really? And type three is uh, neurological. It, it's neurological. Yes, ma'am. Yep. Interesting. Yep. So it's and this is really being this is under the microscope right now. It's, it's under the microscope significantly as far as causative to these neurodegenerative changes. Wow. I'll, I'll even go back. This is a little on topic, but a little off. Back, I know growing up in the '80s, right, dating myself a little bit, but <laughs> growing up in the '80s, we had this low fat craze. Yeah. Okay. The low fat typically meant high sugar. And there's, there was a change there on, in these neurodegenerative diagnosis. They're up significantly since the 80s. And they, they really, if you read a lot of the research, they, they really go back to this low-fat craze because it went high-carbohydrate. Mm. And the high-carbohydrate basically will, will, will get us. Wow. Yeah. Sugars are one of the worst things you can put in the body it's for like sure. the biggest cancer or whatever i mean yeah, it is it's, just tied to it's a it, yes and again that's not necessarily just an opinion it's what we see daily but it's in the research significantly so this type 3 diabetes that's an interesting this is mm-hmm. you just open up a whole new Pandora's that can box. of worms yeah. right yeah so finding out more information on this um i mean again it really everything is is related it ties to it it does there's so many things that tie together um Mm -hmm. again you know type 2 diabetes is and we didn't get into this but it's going to create inflammation it's a significant promoter of inflammation in the body and increases uh, something called cytokines and increases prostaglandins nuclear factor kb etc and that inflammatory re- response is also a main trigger to micro, something called microglial priming. Microglia in your brain are, are there to protect us, but when they're primed, they start to become damaging to the neurons of the brain. So you get the blood sugar, which means I get too much, too much sugar, which is damaging, and too much sugar decreases blood flow and oxygen, and that's a big deal, and it stimulates inflammation. So you get inflammation, decreased blood flow, decreased oxygen, not just to the cellular environment of the body, but to the brain. The brain. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Interesting. Totally causative in the research. It's very, very significant. Well, 
Hmm. Yeah. This is interesting right, information. Right. Pandora's box. I know, right. We need to take a quick break. Sure. We're going to have more in just a moment with Dr. Roni. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Looking for healthier snack options? Mother's Market sources organic and non-GMO small batch, high quality, great tasting nuts, dried fruits, snacks, and candy. The goal? To provide you the highest in quality snacks while also offering high nutritional value. Fan favorites include non-GMO peanut butter pretzel bites, organic dried mango slices, and organic dark chocolate peanut clusters. Stop into your local Mother's Market today to explore all the varieties and pick some up to try for yourself. Let's talk menstruation, perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause. These shouldn't be taboo topics. They're the normal life phases we move through as women. And Solaray delivers support every step of the way with her life stages. The first of its kind comprehensive new supplement line offers doctor formulated solutions at each stage with clinically backed ingredients you can count on. Own the stage. Buy Solaray at Mother's Market today. Welcome back to the Mother's Market Podcast. And we want to remind you that if you missed any portion of today's show, you can find us on iTunes by searching Mother's Market or download the show from our website, mothersmarket.com. Click the link for podcast and listen to past shows. Plus, download our healthy recipes and money savings coupons, all available at mothersmarket.com. And now back to our interview with Dr. Roni. And we've been talking about the prevention and treatment of type 2 diabetes. And this is so interesting, Dr. Roni. Thank you. Your explanations have been amazing. But what causes type 2 diabetes? Yes, good, great question. Okay, so again, going back to the research and what we see clinically, uh, we're going to see first and foremost what we're putting into our body, right? So high carbohydrate that converts into sugar is one of the number one problems. I'll even say this, the food pyramid, right? Mm. If you see the food pyramid, it is ridiculous. It doesn't correlate to any of the research that's going on. Even conventionally, the diabetic diets are high grain, high fiber. It's, it's, it, it's mind boggling because the research is so um, you know, opposite of that. So causative, number one, what we're putting into the body, right? Lack of movement is probably a 1B to that, meaning lack of exercise, right? Not getting the movement, not burning those calories, etc. That's a biggie. Obesity is a big one, right? As the fat storage gets worse, then there's a number of different biochemical issues that, that happen with that. Uh, uh, we mentioned this on a previous uh, interview, but stress. Stress is a big deal. So what stress will do is increase something called cortisol, and cortisol will disrupt the regulation of blood sugar. Mm. So you know, if, I, if we kept it as simple as possible, it's diet, it's exercise, which you hear, and I know that's remedial, stress, right? And then what goes in? So th- those, uh, those are the big components to it, for sure. It sounds like that for pretty much everything. It is. Being, it, remaining it, healthy. It really, really is. But uh, you're able to pinpoint. So um, what kind of diet would you recommend for type 2 diabetes? Yeah. Okay. So this gets, we'll, we'll get into this explanation because it gets a little complex, but I'll, I'll break it down. Okay. One of the best things to do for type 2 diabetes is something called intermittent fasting. Okay. So I'll, I'll explain before we get into that. As I eat carbohydrates, 
they convert into glucose, right? We already established that. The blood sugar rises. Before, and, and again, if it's not getting into the cell, that's when the blood sugar rises, right? So, and that's because of the resistance. Before anything, it's going to store in the liver. And then the liver storage is going to go really high. When, it's, when the liver storage is high and it can't go anywhere, then the blood sugar is going to get deposited. And it gets deposited as fat and triglycerides. Okay? So one of the strategies that we want to implement is we've got to lower the blood sugar. Okay? And then we have to then, once the blood sugar is gone, the body needs energy. So we need to start depleting the liver of its stores of glucose. As we do that, and then there's no glucose available in the body, the body's going to start burning fat, okay? Now, with no glucose in the body, if we go back to the insulin thing, right? If no glucose is there, there's very little insulin stimulated by the pancreas, okay? Which means the lower insulin right? That receptor site has a chance to breathe. It has a chance to start resensitizing. So the whole problem is too much insulin. So if we can decrease the amount of carbohydrates we take in, and we could start depleting the liver stores, we're going to start burning fat, and we're going to start decreasing the amount of insulin, which in turn will wake up the receptor site. So this kind of leads me to the next, because I, we keep hearing about this ketogenic diet. Yeah. So talk to me about uh, somebody that, is it safe for somebody to go on that? Yeah, good question. And, and the caveat for intermittent fasting as well and keto are, are, are similar. If you're already on insulin, right? So sometimes with type 2, the pancreas is so worn out, right? It's so worn out that you're, you're, you need insulin. Somebody needs insulin. The problem with taking insulin is that it could drop your blood sugar quite a bit, fairly quickly, right? So it's a tough regulation sometimes. It would, it would be ill-advised to do intermittent fasting or the keto diet if you're on insulin. Okay. So I wanted to mention that. That's, a, that's a, big, a big deal. If you're not on insulin, then also we have to make sure that you don't drop into something called reactive hypoglycemia right? That's a big deal. Now, the adrenal glands are affecting this as well. So stress affects this. But uh, uh, reactive hypoglycemia is if I get very hangry very quickly. Mm -hmm. So you know that term hangry. <laughs> we get jittery, shaky, irritable, and we just need to eat. That's We call that with diabetics reactive hypoglycemia. Okay, so they go from high blood sugar to low blood sugar. So if somebody can't tolerate right? Long periods without eating or a low carb diet right away. Either of these wouldn't be help, very good for them early on. We might have to progress into that by getting some of the stability there. So I wanted to mention that because it, it, can, be, it can be a little bit rough for people and sometimes dangerous. But keto, ketogenic diet basically is we're going to go low, low carb. And when we go low, low carb, we're going to start, uh, the, the liver is going to start basically um, breaking down or, or secreting fatty acids, right? And, and those fatty acids, by breaking down fat and, and burning fat, are going to create ketones. Mm -hmm. And you start, you could test them in the blood, and then we know we're in quote-unquote ketosis. It, it's, it's been proven to be helpful, but it has to be um, 
individualized in my opinion. I don't know that I'd recommend just anybody, especially with type two diabetes. I think you should be under the, the coordination or care of a healthcare provider that really understands and what can they can teach you to look out for and can monitor it for you. Now on the opposite side, intermittent fasting, just real quick, and I wanna explain what that is for people. Mm -hmm. Say I eat at 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. I won't eat again for roughly 14 hours or so, maybe 12 to 14 hours. So it could go even all the way to 12 the next day. So it could go 16 hours, right? It depends on what they can tolerate. But the idea is when I don't have food in the system, my blood sugar is going to drop. I'm going to start. And if there's no blood sugar, the pancreas or the uh, liver is going to get drained of the glucose as well. So the body has to use that energy. And so when that gets drained, I no longer have the glucose in the blood. My body starts to burn fat. I have less insulin, etc. So the intermittent fasting goes all the way to say 11 or 12, depending on the person can handle the next day. And they eat basically between 12 and five or 12 and six. And that's their meals. Now, food wise, they're still very low carbohydrate. They're understanding, you know, not to get too into it, but we may the glycemic load of foods, which means there's how much like a, a vegetable or a fruit, how much insulin has to be secreted for that fruit, right? And that's called the glycemic load. So there's low, moderate, and high glycemic load. So we have to work with a patient on that as to which are which and what to recommend for them. And so it gets a little complex and we may talk about it, but I just wanted to mention about 12 to six for intermittent fasting is what they do and they fast the rest of the time. Now there's a number of great benefits other than uh, just for diabetes, it resets the immune system. It increases white blood cell count. It gets your uh, the strength of the immune system better, and and so forth. So there's a lot of things other than uh, helping diabetes for that intermittent fasting. So how long would it take to get rid of that glucose in our system that yeah. you're talking about? Yeah, good question. Again, it, it kind of comes back to the individual and how severe their case is, right? So if we go back to some of the labs that we talked about. Uh, you know, I'm working with a patient that started at 270 with fasting glucose. So 100's high. Mm -hmm. Going over 100, she was 270. Oh. So, and her A1C at one point was about nine and five, six is, is normal. So that patient's probably going to take a little bit of time, yeah. right? And there's different strategies that we're going to work with that patient uh, on. So that's going to be, that could take us to regulate everything anywhere from a few months to six to eight, maybe nine months or so. And it also depends on what they're willing to do too, right? So the toughest part with this and in this alternative world, we're kind of the GPS, mm -hmm. right? They're driving, right. but they have to drive. Mm -hmm. And that's the toughest part. So the learning curve, just like, you know, I, I coach baseball, right? I tell my players, your learning curve could be a week or it could be two years. Who's it up to? Right. Yeah. A lot of times it's up to their drive, their desire. Right. Mm -hmm. And and how much they're willing to work. So it's it's very similar with patient care. Mm -hmm. And I let them know we could we could really expedite the process. It depends on how far and hard, how hard you're willing to go. And I know we have to be I have to individualize it because I know I have to be um, how, how would I put it patient. And, <laughs> and my athletic background is 
Like if you yeah. tell me to jump, I, I'm going to ask how high and then I'm going to get there right. way faster than anybody else. Right. right? That's just my personal. That's how I, that's my drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have to understand not everybody's like that. Yeah. So, yeah. but that, that, that's where it comes in as far as how fast and how much it does depend on the severity, but it also depends on how hard they're kind of willing to work. That's a good point. Yeah. So if I cut out all sugar out of my diet, will the glucose disappear? Will it? It, it will start to come down. Yeah, I, I don't. I wouldn't say cut out all, but we would definitely put somebody on a a good plan to start reducing it. Right. So we want to we want to be more higher fat, moderate protein, and low carb. That's our plan. And so because your body, if uh, how would I put it, there are uh, pathways in the body that can convert proteins to to uh, glucose, as an example. Sometimes they don't work well. So we do need glucose. Our brains need glucose especially. It's, it's the, one of the oxygen and glucose to feed the brain. So we don't want to be void of glucose. We just have to be very conscientious and cautious as to how much we're taking in and what strategies we need to do to lower it. So yeah, I mean, conceivably, if you cut out all carbs, you'll, you'll start to drop the glucose in the blood and it'll start to deplete the liver storages and then you'll have a you know, a quicker chance. It's just not a safe way to do it. So we have to moderate it for sure. Okay. Hopefully that was, that was no, helpful. No, I, I get that now. Yeah. That's um, a good analogy there too. Um, what is the best, we talked a little bit about exercise, but is there a, a, a great form for type two? Yes. Uh, and it's, it's something called, and this is good for a lot of different conditions, but it's something called high intensity, short burst exercise, right? So I get on a treadmill, I sprint, for uh, say a minute, I jog for 30 seconds, I sprint jog, and up to seven to 10 minutes, according to the research, it shows that it can help wake up that receptor site. Hmm. Now think about this, if I'm also low uh, carb, and I'm depleting the blood sugar, or the sugar in the blood, and I'm starting to deplete the liver stores, that exercise is gonna expedite, right, that process, and it's gonna start helping me burn fats. Okay, so we want to definitely get to that point, And that's part of what the exercise is going to do that short burst of intense exercise. But it also is proven to help lower inflammation. Okay, but there's a second part to it. Okay, we, we also have to get our patients on resistance training. Mm. Right. And, and that could be bands, it could be light weights, it's more resistance, high repetition, low weight, right, and, and work in full body. And the reason for that is if we can start to develop, we can fat burn, right? So low carb, Mm -hmm. glucose gone, turns to fat. We fat burn, we could do the high intensity exercises, and then we start getting resistance training. We're going to develop more lean body mass. So here's the thing. Muscle burns calories twice the rate as fat. So our metabolic system starts to work for us day in and day out as opposed to against us. So we then need to set this body up in motion that it's working for us, not against us. And that is more on the, once we get it right, that's more on the how to keep it right. Okay, so it's exactly right. So we're going to give all these strategies to the patients. Again, whether they do it or not is entirely up to them. But I personally feel like I'm going to give you every bit of my truth as to what I've learned and what I know works because we've seen this reverse over and over and over again. Now, again, 
there's there's caveats to that. If 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 the uh, pancreas is devoid of being able to to produce insulin, that's that's a caveat. If there's type one diabetes, which means the immune system is attacking the pancreas, right, and it's damaging the cells, that's a caveat. But if we're talking specifically insulin insulin resistance type two diabetes, that the insulin levels are still or the pancreas is still able to produce insulin, we're able to for most people, reverse that. Wow. Right? And, and you know, whether you hear that in the conventional world or what have you, I, I don't know. But I'm telling you, we see it on paper consistently if right. the right things are done. So it's a formula. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to outline with this whole, with the interview. Yeah. 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 So this is great. And that's huge positive news that it can be reversed. Yes. But yes. Stay it takes work. Diligent. It takes yeah. work. Yeah. Uh, if there are just a couple of things people can do to help prevent this, what would you recommend? Yeah, and the two we mentioned, right? I know it's redundant and people are like, oh, well, okay, maybe right, maybe yeah. not a, a big insight here, but it's diet and exercise. Mm -hmm. I mean, it goes back to those two. Those are the two main things that happen, um, you know, that creates this, this insulin resistance. So, yeah, if we can get on the low-carb, you know, clean-burning fuels, you know, moderate, higher fats, lower carbs, moderate proteins. Um, you might need a nutritionist to help you out or somebody that understands this. The great thing about the clinic here, we have every resource available. We have a full-time nutritionist, right? We have clinicians like myself that understand all the other aspects of it, but also nutrition as well. We have, you know, we have different modalities and, and so forth that can, that can help a patient. So that diet is important. And then understanding the exercise part of it too, I think it's a big deal. But I will tell you, a lot of my patients that I work with, they're not, they don't feel good enough to exercise. So I've understand this over time because again, my athletic mentality is just, just push through. But the reality is if chemistry is not adequate enough to support energy expenditure like working out, we have to go backwards a little bit and say, hold off on the exercise. Let's get you functioning better first. Let me get you feeling better. Let's get the clouds away from the sun a little bit in the brain so you go, you know what? I feel pretty good here. All right, now we're ready to take the next step. Some people, I have to work with them for a little while to get them feeling better before they have the energy or the will to exercise. And I, it took me a while to kind of understand that. That's the year after year of doing this where you go, all right, I have to, I have to take a step back here and be patient and be understanding of where they are uh, chemically, right? Or, or biochemically. Sometimes you can't just will to do something. And that's what I've under, I, I really, I'm more empathetic these days <laughs> I hear that based, based, on, yeah. based on what I've learned over time. Right. So, so those two things are definitely critical. And of course, the stress mediation, right? Chemical, physical, emotional stressors, understanding that where they come from uh, and, and how to mitigate them as much as possible, uh, a big deal, especially those emotional stressors, I think are a big deal because stress is going to is going to increase cortisol mm. and, and it's going to affect the way you can regulate your insulin. So uh, that's a big deal too. I know we talk diet and exercise, but, but stress mediation or mitigation is a, is a big deal as well.
Well, this is great information. And, you know, really, ultimately, you can apply it to every aspect. You, you can. But the, I love that you have really specified and talked about type 2 diabetes here. So thank you so much for your time and some great advice. We really appreciate your knowledge and we look forward to having you on again. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, thank you for having me. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you. I want to make sure that we have your website, which is centerfornewmedicine.com. And so we look forward to having you on next time. Yeah, that'd be great. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. The advice and informational content does not necessarily represent the views of Mother's Market and Kitchen. Mother's recommends consulting your health professional for your personal medical condition. 